Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. I think it's... There's a difference in living by faith and living fake. Living by faith says, this isn't what I feel, but I know it's true. Fake is saying, I don't really believe this, but I want everyone to believe that I do. We're called to live by faith. We're not called to live fake. Faith is, even though it doesn't look like it, I I believe it and I'm going to live as though it's true. Fake is... I don't really believe this, but I know I should, so I'm going to make it look like I do. The difference between the two is one actually builds you up. The other leaves you feeling empty. I just want to encourage you. Like, There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I don't feel this way, but, but I know it's true. And so I'm going to live as though it's true. And I'm going to respond to your truth and not the way I feel. That's amazing. And you might be surprised how the more you do that when you don't feel it, the more you feel it. But it's not okay to say, like, I don't, I don't really believe this. I don't really know this. But everybody else seems to, so I'll say it. That does nothing for you. It actually could be worse because it gives you an appearance a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof, which is for our lives to actually be transformed. And we, we started talking about that last week, about the difference between being transformed and being conformed. And if you, how many of you weren't here last week? How many of you weren't here last week? Whoa, where were you? <laughs> Holy smokes. <laughs> That's a lot of people. Go back and listen to the message from last week if you haven't already. Um, because one, one thing that's been amazing is how many conversations I had this past week and just sitting and talking with people or, or doing pre-marriage counseling with people and stuff like that, and how often this very topic came up and was at the root of a lot of things that were going on. And so if, if, you, uh, if you weren't here, please go back and listen to that. But I want to kind of continue on that because the truth of the matter is, is that, that there, are, there are two different Uh, opposites that that Paul talks about when he says not to be conformed to this world but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that that confirmation process we talked about it you know it's like pushing clay into a mold that it may take the appearance of something but it actually nothing has changed it may look like something else but you could push it into a different mold and it would take on that face and you could push it into that mold and it would look like this and and, and a lot of us, if we're not careful, if we don't actually come to the place of being transformed by him so that we, we actually like who he's made me to be. Like, I'm not saying, oh, I'm perfect and, and, and I'm not thinking more highly of myself than I ought. But, but the truth of the matter is, is a lot of times we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to in a way much different than most of us think. We value our opinion of ourselves over what his word says about us. Come on, it sounds so humble to put myself down and self-loathe and self-hate and all that stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is that's actually valuing myself and thinking of myself more highly than I ought to. Because when I take my opinion and exalt it above his word, 
Now I'm living as though, well, I know that's what God said, but if he would have known what I know. And we wouldn't say that because it sounds ridiculous. But it's crazy how many things we actually live that if we were to put words to would sound just as ridiculous. And, and the idea of transformation is not that we have a pocket full of molds. And we walk around figuring out, okay, what face do I need to put on for this? What face do I need to put on for that? Who do I need to be here? Who do I need to be there? And some people say, well, Paul said to the Greek, I became a Greek. He was talking about my communication was given in a way where they could understand the gospel. And it wasn't because he wanted them to like him. There was zero self. In fact, he said, I'd give up my salvation if I could for the sake of the elect. Like, Paul wasn't like, who do I need to be to get them to like me? Who do I need to be so that I'll get more followers? Who do I need to be so that I'll become more popular? Who do I need to be so that I will become more famous? That, there was a zero of that in Paul. He wasn't becoming a Greek to the Greek and a Jew to the Jews so that he could win their approval. He was doing it so that he could win their hearts with the gospel of Jesus for their sake, not his. That's the selfless way of becoming all things to all men. But the selfish way is, I have a need for you to like me, or I have a need for you to feel a certain way about me. And so I, I, I have a pocket full of these molds, and I'm just like clay, and I, I mold myself. But he, the problem is, is the word says that he is the potter, and we are the clay. And so even if I've got a beautiful mold, it's nothing compared to what he could transform me into if I would allow him to potter my life rather than me to potter my life. The other thing about that is it's, it's exhausting. Yeah, that's exhausting. I, I lived that way for a time. Like I, When I was lost and didn't know who I was and, and had no clue, so there's no way I could see who you were because I didn't even know who I was. I, I would just try to figure out, okay, what can I do or say that will make me liked or that will make me accepted or that will get me what I want? And, and it's exhausting because sometimes you've got two different worlds collide. Now you've got to be two-faced. You've got to be split this way and that way. And you're trying to figure out how much of this can I be without losing that? How much of that can I be without losing this? And you're divided against yourself. And the word says that a house that's divided against itself can't stand. Eventually it falls apart. But you'll go crazy in the process of trying to keep it together. I honestly believe a lot of the reason people have mental breakdowns is because they never actually come to a calm place in their mind where they just believe what he says and actually enjoy that I am in the process of being transformed from glory to glory, even into the image of Jesus by the Spirit of God. Come on, that's freedom. That's what I'm saying. Paul says, not that I, not that I'm, I have attained it already, but this much I know. Forgetting what lies behind me, I press forward towards the mark of the high call. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, I understand that I haven't arrived there yet, but I know one thing. I'm not who I was, and tomorrow I'm not going to be who I am today. But today I'm going to live in the glory of who I am and who he's made me to be because of his son. That's what freedom looks like. So if, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 12. That, that transformation process is, is, we talked about this last week, but just a real quick catch-up because it ties into today, is, is the word metamorphoso, which is where we get metamorphosis from. It's, it's the process where something that was one thing becomes another. It's not where something that was one thing 
puts on a costume and pretends to be another. It's where something that was one thing has been transformed and changed into something completely different. It's the process by which a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And we talked about that last week, that when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it undergoes a process where it actually changes. And it's, when it comes out of the cocoon, it's no longer what it was when it went into the cocoon. And it can never be that again, but it could act like one. Well, if I'm, if I'm so transformed, then how come I still, because you're still acting like a caterpillar, crawling around in the dirt when God gave you wings. You're still trying to chew on leaves when God gave you a tongue to enjoy nectar. You're still trying to hang upside down, wondering why you're dizzy when God gave you legs to stand on. You can, you can act, but, but here's the thing. A caterpillar crawling around in the dust, chewing on leaves and hanging upside down from a branch doesn't make, or a butterfly crawling around in the dust and chewing on leaves and hanging upside down from a branch doesn't make it a caterpillar. It just makes it not living the way it was created to live. It makes it miserable. It doesn't change the fact that it's a butterfly, but it doesn't actually enjoy who it's been created to be now that it's been changed. So Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and do we really only have 12 and a half? Oh yeah, we got to do baptisms. <laughs> we get to. <laughs> um, I don't mean got to. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure and a joy, but that's why the clock is where it is. Um, that's okay. You'll be back next week, some of you, and um, <laughs> whatever I don't get to this week. <laughs> Whatever I'll get to this week, I'll get to next week. But, but they're talking, the Pharisees are talking to Jesus. They're trying to trip him up like they always were. That, that's why when, when someone asks you a question about the word, it, it's really important that you understand where their heart is in it. Are they actually looking for truth or are they looking for a fight? I have no time to fight. We can discuss. But if you're coming with your mind made up and all you're wanting to do is ask a question so that you can say, gotcha, it's a waste of both of our time. When there's humility and, and, and someone genuinely wants to understand, that's a whole different story. And so they come to Jesus, and sometimes they were asking Jesus a question because they wanted to have the aha. Remember, they asked him, so are you the son of God? And he said, you say so. And they said, well, what do you say? And he said, answer me this. He asked them a question. They wouldn't answer. He said, then neither will I answer you. What's he saying? You're not even willing to consider the things I'm saying. Why would I give you an answer to something you're asking? And so he... They come to him and they want to trip him up. They want him to blaspheme Moses. They want to have something they can hang over his head and say he's a transgressor of the law. He deserves to be killed. All these things, right? And they come to him and they say, so tell us, Rabbi. Rabbi. That Jesus is still just your teacher. And he's not Lord. Then you give yourself permission to hear him as a teacher and not as Lord. Remember, Jesus talked about that. We talked about it in the message about Judas. But Jesus talked about that. Remember when... When the, when the rich young ruler came to him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you really think that I am the good teacher, the good teacher, then you, you have to realize that that's because I'm God. And so if, who you think I am is very important in this moment because I'm about to give you an answer. And if I'm just a teacher, then I'm just a voice among voices. But if I'm God, that's a whole different thing. 
That's the difference between hearing what I say and walking away sad or saying, I don't know if I want to do that, but where would I go? You've got the words of eternal life. And so they come to him and they ask him the next question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers them and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. God, thank you for your word. I thank you that we have the Bible. That, that, that literally life is sitting on a shelf in Walmart. That, that if we would open it up and allow it to open us up, that if, if your spirit would come and make it more than just words on a page, but revelation to us, God, that it would be life and it would be truth and it would be just, it would bring life to broken places. It would bring healing to broken places. It would bring joy to places of sadness. God, that your word speaks into every dark place. And once your word is spoken into the darkness, there's no longer darkness because light has come. So, Father, I just ask that as I speak today, the words that I've spoken, the words that I will, that you would anoint them, God. Without your anointing on it, there's no power. They're just mere words, but it's your anointing that breaks chains. And so, God, I'm praying that you would anoint the words that you've given me to speak, that they would accomplish everything that you desire for them to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. And so Jesus is talking and he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, all your strength. So all of us know that, and, and that's like, well, that means that I love God above everything else. And, and then he says, and the second is like it. So he, 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 he equates them very similarly, and he says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, there's been messages preached about, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. And we've talked about that before probably, but... but one thing that stuck out to me was is that I've never actually, and I don't know that I've heard it a lot, but I've never actually talked about it. And as I was reading this, I, don't, I, I feel like I was just seeing things I hadn't seen, but how do I love myself? You know, because loving yourself has been demonized because people will take a passage, um, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you, in 2 Timothy 3.2, where Paul is talking about in the last days, and he's talking about the corruption that's going to go on w- within the church under the name of Christianity. And he's giving a warning. He says, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's bright and cheery. But that word there for the love of self is not the word that Jesus used when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. The word there actually doesn't mean love at all. It's philautos, which means fond of self and selfish. So, so Paul says in the last days, people are going to be self-consumed. They're going to care more about themselves than they do others. And then at the end, he ties this directly to a lack of love for God. So Jesus says... Listen, the way that this doesn't happen is if you actually love God. Now once you love him and you're living in response to his love, it's possible to love yourself the way Jesus talked about, which is agape, which is that selfless, God-like love that he were called to love ourselves with. Once you've given him first place in your life and once you've surrendered to him and yielded to him, made him Lord, and you love him and you're living in his love, now you can actually love yourself the way that Jesus is talking about. And I, I think that one of the greatest problems we have is that we've either gone into one of two ditches, which is where 
I love myself in a selfish way, which means I love me so much that I'll live at your expense. Or I loathe myself and hate myself. And both of them kind of produce the same fruit in our lives. Not, not loving who he's made me to be and liking who he's made me to be. Like literally, when you wake up in the morning, not is there nothing in your life that you are praying and seeking him to, to see transformation. And I'm not saying that. But do I actually like who he's made me to be? When I look myself in the mirror, do I, do I, do I like it? Am I thankful that, that, that I have become who I am? Like Paul said, what I am, I am by the grace of God. Like, do I, do I like myself? Do I say, God, I, I'm, I'm, thank you that you've made me this, that I once was this and now I'm not. Paul says, you know, you were all those things, but then you were sanctified. You were saved. What's he saying? He's saying, God, you were those things, but he saved you out of those things. Why are you still acting that way? In other words, that's no longer who you are. And I find that there's a lot of people who really don't like themselves. Never mind love themselves. And if, if I don't actually like who he's made me to be, like if I don't believe that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, then I'll have a hard time believing that you are. Because what I have, I give. And if I'm constantly finding what's wrong with me, I'll either need you to like me to feel better about myself, or I'll need to find what's wrong with you to feel better about myself. But either way, I can't love you. Self-hatred causes me to see myself as inferior to others. Selfish esteem of myself causes me to see myself as superior to others. And they're two sides of the same coin. Selfishness causes me to not want to lay my own life down for others unless there's something in it for me. So I'm calculating when, when there's something that, that, that is asked of me or something that I could do. I'm looking at it, and, and I'm not responding out of love saying, oh, well, I love that person. Of course I would want to do that for them. My response is, if I do this, what's in it for me? And if I could see an angle where there possibly could be some gain for me or, or make me look good or, or get me a compliment or, or something like that, well, then I'll, I'll, I'll do it, but I will only do the things and I will only lay my life down when I have calculated what it's going to get me and I think think it's worth the cost. But self-hatred can cause me to actually do more than the person that has, that's selfish because I want to please people because I need you to like me because I don't like me. But if you say enough good things about me, then maybe I'll believe them and I'll start to like myself. And I, I don't like who I am, so there's this constant narrative in my head that the enemy is constantly confirming of who I'm not and where I've failed and how I've missed it and why I'm not worthy of love and all these things that go on. And, and, and one of the responses that we often have if we hate ourselves is to live our lives in a way that pleases people because we're living for their approval and living for their praise because I don't like me, but maybe if you like me, then something will change. And it's bad fruit, born of the same seed. It's not loving him with everything that I have. And it's not believing that I really am who he says and loving what he's done and what he's doing in my life. 
promise next week I will talk about it. <laughs> no, because, like, I'll just, I'll leave you with this, but I was thinking about how we love ourselves. And so I naturally started thinking about what the Bible says about love. And it brought me to Corinthians 13, <coughs> where Paul talks about what love looks like. And we use that a lot in the context of what it looks like to love other people. But it dawned on me, if that's how we're to love others, then that's probably the way that we are to love ourselves. So I started reading those things. Love is patient. Love is patient. So loving myself the way that God calls me to, the way that Jesus said I should, looks like me being patient with myself. Not thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm not farther along than this. What's wrong with you? Look at everybody else. Don't trust me. You're never looking at everybody else. You're looking at an idea of everybody else. I promise you, I say this all the time, but it's true. If every one of us threw our problems in the middle of a room, you'd see everyone else's and you would run and grab yours. There would be a stampede to go, back, go and grab your problem once you were aware of what everyone else is dealing with. And some of that's because people don't want to open up and some of that's because people have come to a place where it no longer defines them. Well, I'll just, I'm going to talk about that just for a second, I promise. So, if I'm selfish, I'll take the love is patient and having patience with myself to mean that This is just who I am. I'm okay. Yeah, I mean, so I'm not perfect. Neither is anybody else. And it will become permission for me to not be transformed if there's an area of my life that I see that is less than Jesus. Because I'm so selfish that I, I actually don't feel like I need to change. It's probably just the people around me need to change. If they just saw how great I was, certainly they would act differently. Or saying, well, this is just the way that I am, and not realizing that that's probably true, and that's why you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because there's a thought process that brought you there that was less than Jesus. There's a thought process that comes from him that will take you out of there. So if, I, if I'm selfish... Being patient with myself will be permission to stay where I am. But if I hate myself, being patient with myself will be really hard. Because I'll constantly see where I'm not and never actually enjoy where I am. And that's not freedom. That's bondage. It's just 
a different type of bondage. So I, I do want to talk about the rest of, of that and even more about the idea of being patient with ourselves, but being kind with ourselves, not seeking after our own, not considering a wrong suffered. And there's so many people out there that don't like who they are because of things that have been done to them and they see themselves as the product of what people did or didn't do rather than what Jesus has done. I say, I think, well, I, I would love myself if this didn't happen.